Welcome to the Emotional Wealth Podcast, hosted by certified financial planner, Lon W. Broski. Every two weeks, Lon discusses the current most relevant topics in today's financial climate. He will share with you his insights from 20 plus years of experience that he has found is most important in accomplishing your financial goals. Topics include the equity markets, saving and investing for your goals, the impact on your financial plan as it relates to current events, and more. Now, here is your host of Emotional Wealth, Lon Broski. Welcome to this edition of Emotional Wealth. My name is Lon Broski. I'm a certified financial planner with Pines Wealth Management in St. Louis. The reasons we do these podcasts are very simple. We want to help educate you, the listener, so that you make better, more intelligent decisions within your financial plan. And that's really what it's about, is making the best decision with the information that you have at hand which ultimately will help keep you on track or even get you closer to your financial goals. And so today we want to talk about recessions. And recession is such a scary word, and that's why it's important for us to talk about. We want to talk about what a recession is. We want to talk about the indicators of a recession. And we also want to talk about the historical aspect of recessions. Now, I didn't used to be a big history guy, I didn't understand why anybody would want to study history, but now that I'm older and wiser, I certainly get history. And I understand that the reason why history is so important is because it's the only place where facts reside. You won't find facts about the future because they don't exist, right? Somebody can pontificate to you all day long about what they think is going to happen in the future. They can show you graphs. They can show you numbers. They can show you their credentials. They can show you their academic standing. They can show you their experience, but that does not give them the ability to accurately predict the future. We as human beings, since we've been walking this earth, have not been able to accurately predict the future. It's not going to start tomorrow. History is the only place where you'll find facts. So that's why it's so important. And we'll look at some past recessions historically. But before we get started, I want to talk about Thomas Jefferson, because today's quote comes from Thomas Jefferson. And today's quote, I think, is really relevant in today's charged up environment, right? We're charged up politically, socially, environmentally. There's so many things to be emotional about. And Thomas Jefferson says, when angry, count 10 before you speak. If very angry, count to 100. Wow, that's prophetic. And I think there's a lot of times and a lot of situations that we have faced where we just need to stop and count to 10. In some cases, count to 100. But let's talk about recessions. So recession is such an emotional word, right? Because if I were to ask you, what does recession mean to you? More than likely, it's going to evoke some emotion. It's not going to be a celebratory emotion. It's going to be emotion of fear because that's what we've been trained, right? The financial media does a great job of training us to be fearful of recessions. Now, I've spoken many times on why that is, why the financial media wants you constantly in a state of fear, but a recession is a big tool that they use to keep you in that state of fear and to elevate really your level of fear. So what is a recession? Well, a recession has traditionally been defined as two 
consecutive quarters of declining economic activity. In other words, a negative gross domestic product, which is how the economy is mostly measured is by gross domestic product or GDP. So two consecutive quarters, negative GDP equals a recession. But the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is NBER acronym, which the reason why their definition is important is because they are the official declarer of when recessions begin and end. And oh, by the way, they only do it after the fact. They never do it before the fact. The NBER tells us that recession is not necessarily two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, but it's really a range of monthly indicators and and broad economic activity to determine whether or not the economy is slowing down. It doesn't necessarily have to be negative. It just means that the economy is slowing down from a previous pace. So that's how they define recession. And, And typically there are several indicators that the NBER looks at. Okay. The first is unemployment. They want to make sure that the unemployment number is not increasing. Now, the Fed has told us this past year that in order to bring down inflation, they would like the unemployment rate to increase because that's an indication the economy is cooling. And the NBER also looks at that indicator. Another indicator would be the yield curve inversion. Now, that is a big term. What in the world do I mean by yield curve inversion? So here's what a normal yield curve would look like. So the yield curve is plotted. If you can imagine a graph and on the X axis, yield curve is plotted in terms of years, zero through 30, okay, on the X axis of your graph. And the lower years, years one, two, three, four, five, the yield that you're expected to receive on those investments should be lower because you're not locking your investments up for very long. As you go along the yield curve x-axis and your time increases, your yield should increase because you're locking your money up for a longer period of time. So therefore, you should get a higher interest rate. A normal yield curve will see interest rates are lower in the shorter timeframes. And the interest rates are higher in the longer timeframes. Well, an inverted yield curve is just the exact opposite. Short-term rates are highly elevated and long-term rates are not. And what that indicates is, is that there's no confidence in the economy long-term. Something's going on in the economy. Investors do not have confidence that the economy is getting better. As a result, short-term rates will rise. That is when the yield curve inverts. Investors simply are worried about the direction of the economy. And when the yield curve inverts, when short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, that's called inversion. And there's some history with yield curve inversion, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But right now, the yield curve has been inverted since July of last year, 2022. And yield curves have been a fairly accurate predictor of recessions. In fact, since 1976, five out of six times when the yield curve has inverted, 15 months later, on average, there was a recession. 
that's a fairly good track record of predicting if there's going to be a recession. Five out of six times, the yield curve is inverted since 1976. It has led to a recession. The yield curve has been inverted for about 14 months. So we're very quickly approaching that 15-month magic number to where recessions happen. I'm not saying there is going to be one, but but typically yield curve inversion is a very reliable indicator that a recession is just around the corner. What would happen to slow the economy down? Very simply, consumers don't spend, right? Consumers make up 70% of the economy. If the consumer doesn't spend, the economy doesn't run. Misconception is that the economy is made up of Google and Walmart and Microsoft and Apple and Amazon, a lot of these companies. And, and that's somewhat true, but make no mistake about it. If the consumer does not spend, the economy doesn't run. If they're not going to spend as much, then the economy is going to suffer. And that could be a potential indicator of a looming recession is when consumers tighten their belts. Another indicator that I mentioned a moment ago is the unemployment rate. Fed has told us that they would like to see the unemployment rate start to creep up in order to give us an indication that the economy is slowing. Because the whole reason why the Fed started to increase interest rates was because of inflation. And that's a subject for an entirely different podcast. What we're seeing right now is the unemployment rate has stayed very steady. It's only between 34 basically between 3.4 and 3.7. It's been in a very narrow range. It hasn't broken out to the upside. And if it doesn't, then that could be an indication that the economy still remains on good footing. So we haven't seen that yet. Another indication is the U.S. leading economic indicators. Now, this is an index that's made up of 10 leading economic indicators. It's combined to form a picture taking into, consider- taking into consideration all of those 10 indicators. Now, I'm not going to bore you and tell you exactly what those 10 indicators are, but just know that it has had the 16 consecutive months of a decline. The NBER is taken into account all of these things that we just talked about. The yield curve inversion, the LEI, and the unemployment rate, all of these begin to form a picture, not necessarily just the definition of two negative quarters of GDP growth. So it's a lot more complex, and that is not necessarily the definition of a recession. So when a recession is mentioned, the reason why it has a negative connotation is because economic activity slows down. And could potentially mean that corporate profits are going to slow down. So that's the heart of what a recession is. And right now we're seeing an inverted yield curve. Yet we're seeing unemployment stubbornly consistent. It's not increasing. And the LEI has been consistently negative since last July. At least two of the three indicators are telling us that the conditions for a recession are present doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a recession, but they're just present. I want to talk about unemployment for just a minute. Why is the unemployment rate not cooperating with the other two? Why does it not give us that third leg to the recession stool 
Well, it's really an enigma. Because if the economy is faltering, certainly corporations would be laying off employees. Why is the unemployment rate so stubbornly consistent right now? It's Again, we mentioned it earlier. It's in that range. I think the unemployment rate has been in that consistent range is because of the pandemic. The pandemic changed a lot of things socially, politically, and economically. When you shut the economy down, which has never been done before, by the way, in history, so we don't know what the effects are going to be on the economy. We are discovering this, what the effects are as we go along. It's never happened before, so we don't have any history. So we're creating history literally every single day on how the economy reacts to opening back up from being entirely shut down. But like we talked about earlier, when you have LEI that's gone negative for this long, when you have a yield curve that's inverted for this long, unemployment typically is the third leg of that recession stool that increases. And that hasn't happened. And part of the reason is, is because we haven't figured out what the effects on closing and then reopening an economy. We don't know that yet. So labor has been the one question mark in this recession puzzle that has not been answered, is not cooperating. The Fed has even indicated that they would like to see the unemployment rate increasing, but we haven't seen that yet. And in the, in the months to come, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the labor market is affected because right now it's not. How many times have you walked into a store? How many times have you walked into a restaurant and there is a help wanted sign? Labor is just not just not participating in the recession right now. And I don't know when that's going to change. So interesting thing. Again, we talked about, to recap briefly, we talked about what is a recession, the definition of a recession. NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, is the official organization that declares when recessions begin and end. We talked about the yield curve. We talked about contraction in GDP, unemployment rate, and we also talked about leading economic indicator. But one thing that we didn't talk about is we didn't talk about interest rates too much. Now, understand that interest rates primarily are the Fed's main tool in fighting inflation. And we've had a lot of inflation, for lack of a better word. I'm thinking about another word about calling how much inflation we've had, but I won't use that, right? This is a family podcast. We've had a lot of inflation. Now, what creates inflation? Very simply. Okay. Inflation is a direct result of how much money there is in the system. Many of you have heard me tell my inflation story. Inflation comes down to this. As I'm doing this podcast, I have a ballpoint pen in my hand. Now, why is that ballpoint pen not worth a million dollars? I didn't pay a million dollars for it. I think I paid a dollar 20 for it. Why is it not worth a million dollars? The reason why it's not worth a million dollars is because there's a billion of them. When you have more of something, the value decreases. It's the same with ballpoint pens. It's the same with keychains. It's the same with water bottles. It's the same with highlighters. It's the same with everything. It also applies to dollars. When you put more dollars into the system, they're going to be worth less. That is economics 101. It isn't a political statement. It isn't me being mean and not accepting of a certain narrative, it's the fact. 
That's the reason why my ballpoint pen in my hand is not worth a million dollars because there's a billion of them and I can find them anywhere. Dollars is exact same analogy. That's the reason why we've had inflation. Now, what do we have to do to get rid of inflation? We got to do the opposite. If you put the money in, you got to get the money out. That takes time. You got to get the money out of the system and you do that by taking money out. And when you raise interest rates, less money goes into the system. Consumers don't borrow as much. And so money doesn't get used. Eventually that money trickles out of the system, but it takes time. It's not a instantaneous fix. You just can't raise interest rates this month. And then the next month you lower them. This is a $27 trillion economy. It's going to take time for the money to get out of the system. That's the reason why the Fed has been increasing interest rates so aggressively because they're trying to remove inflation out of the system. At some point in time, the the prevailing thought is, is that the Fed will raise interest rates too far, pull them there too long, and tip us into recession. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly worth considering. That's another indicator that recession could be looming at some point. So the third thing that we'll talk about is if a recession is coming, what are some steps that you can take in order to prepare for a recession? And notice I said prepare. I didn't say avoid. What's the most recent recession that you can think of? Well, in all likelihood, you're thinking about 2008, the 2008 Great Recession. That was a doozy of a recession. When the housing market collapsed, right? When corporate America seemed to be at every turn, some corporation was declaring bankruptcy. Some financial firm was declaring bankruptcy. That was a difficult time because we didn't know whether or not the whole financial system was going to collapse. I know I can remember being in my office when I heard that Bear Stearns had collapsed in the spring of 2008. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, that was an institution that had been around forever, had been a staple on Wall Street, and they couldn't turn their lights on. That started the domino effect. And you started to see smaller financial firms fail. But in retrospect, in looking at it in 2008, I understand why 2008 happened. You had a system that was working under false pretenses. You had people borrowing money that they could never, ever repay. Even if they wanted to, they didn't have the ability to repay. You had financial institutions lining up to loan them money, knowing full well that they may not pay that money back. They gave people loans with no money down and loaned them 125% of the value of the property. So you had financial institutions handing out home loans like they were candy. The qualifications be damned to qualify for that loan. You didn't have to have 20% down. You just had to have a good story. You had to have a job. Didn't matter how much money you made on that job. You had people borrowing 125% of the value of the house before they even moved in. You had people borrowing money that they couldn't possibly pay back 
But you know what? The bank didn't care. Because they were going to take that crappy loan and they were going to take a whole bunch of other crappy loans, mesh them all together, and they were going to sell that crappy bunch of loans to another bank. Let them deal with it. And it was systemic. And when you're in the vortex, it's very hard to see outside of the vortex. You want to know what happened in 2008, 2009? Everybody was working under the same system. Everybody was stuck in the vortex. Nobody could see out of the vortex. When you had financial institutions that were loaning this money out in hopes of increasing their revenue and they begin to fall in the spring of 2008, you can start to see the hurricane starting to build. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, um, something's not right here. This is a house of cards. And for me, it was in the spring of 2008 when Bear Stearns failed. That's, that was the beginning. That was the hold on moment. Strap yourselves in the seat and hold on to the armrests. This is going to get ugly. We just didn't know how ugly it was going to get. Nobody did. And it devastated not only consumers, it dis- devastated banks, insurance companies, corporations, all were affected what happened in 2008. That's what everybody's afraid of. That's the wound that everybody remembers. That wound is still fresh. Prior to 2008, it was 1973, 1974. I was very young at that point, but I still remember shades of that recession. That was long and deep. It lasted 16 months. GDP was down 3.4% just in the first quarter alone of 1974. And then Rebounded for a little bit, but it fell right after that in the preceding quarters, 3.7%. It fell in the third quarter, 1.5% in the fourth quarter, and 4.8% in the first quarter of 1975. That was scary. You had unemployment running north of 9% in 1975. You had stagflation. You had a president resigning In the middle of all that calamity, you had the president of the United States who holds the most powerful office in the world resigning in disgrace in front of the entire world. 1973, 1974, I would argue was just as scary as 2008 because you didn't know what was going to happen. 1974 to 1975, four out of five quarters, you saw negative growth. Recession lasted 16 months. When was the other shoe going to drop? I remember, I remember my dad coming home from his job and getting us all together in the car and taking us down to the gas station so we could wait in line for gas. Not only did we have the recession going on where we had double-digit inflation, we also had the oil embargo. That left the economy in ruins. And yet, from that ruin rose a better and stronger economy that took off in the late 70s, early 80s. 
2008, 2009, when the Dow Jones Industrial Average bottomed out at 6,500. Today, it stands at 34,000. 2008, 2009, 1973, 1974, two other examples in history where a recession threatened the economy to alter the course of investing forever. Yet somehow the economy made the necessary adjustments and began the inevitable healing. I don't think there's a reason to fear a recession. We know that recessions happen. History has shown us that. Recessions happen. Sometimes they're mild. Sometimes they're minor. Sometimes they're deep. Sometimes recessions are deep and long. Other times recessions are short and shallow. And that's really what investors are wondering right now. With so many uncertainties, is the next recession going to be long and deep or short and shallow? And the overriding lesson that we've learned from recessions is to stay the course. Recessions come and go for different reasons. Every single time a recession happens, there's going to be headlines on why it's happening and why this time is different. And you're absolutely correct. There will inevitably be different reasons why the next recession happens. They are correct. It's going to be different. But the effects are going to be the same. The effects were the same in 1973, 1974, and 2008, 2009, and every other recession in between. There has been a recovery. The economy goes on to rebuild itself, to rejuvenate itself, to continue with technological developments that make our lives better. Do not count out the great American companies and their ability to weather recession. Yes, there are going to be some companies that don't make it through a recession, but that's the reason why you diversify. Stay the course, regardless of whether we have a recession or whether we don't. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We're always, always open to conversations from you, the listener, and would love to hear your ideas and thoughts. Have a great week, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Emotional Wealth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media. To catch all the latest from Lon, you can follow him on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Or visit his website at pineswealth.com. And as always, if you have any questions or ideas for upcoming podcasts, please call Lon anytime, toll free, 800-467-6567. Or email him at podcast at pineswealth.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, happy money.